I may have told you last week was the last time we were going to talk about community groups and why we're doing them and why we're so excited about them. Um, if I did say that, I didn't lie. I was just wrong. Uh, there's a difference, right? So, sign of a good leader, you can admit you're wrong. So there you go. Um, I, I did mention that we may be moving ahead, but as I prayed and thought about it this week and really sought the Lord, I think there's really one more thing in relation to this whole subject that God wants to accomplish through these groups that I think we all need to be aware of. Because community groups for us is a vital part of accomplishing the mission God has given us. This is not just something we read in a magazine, you know, that, that the hundred biggest churches do community groups, so you better too. This, is, this comes out of a deep conviction that the gospel has reconciled us, and because of that, that, that we are made as Christians to live in community, that we, we have to do this, that it's a part of accomplishing the mission God has given us, that we will not be faithful to what we are called to do if we don't. So uh, this is a big deal for us, and we don't want you to ever do anything uh, just because we told you it's a good idea. We want you to see from the scriptures. We want you to have as equally deep conviction as anybody else in the room when you're a part of community groups, that, that it's a biblical thing to do, that it's something that Jesus has, has called us to, that it's accomplishing uh, what it's set out for, okay? So um, we're going to read Romans 15, 14. Romans 15, verse 14. And concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and also, and able also to admonish one another. Now this is, this is a, uh, this is kind of an odd tone from Paul here. What we see, this is, this is Pastor Paul giving the congregation at Rome a, a really big attaboy. I mean, do you hear the language he's using? Normally Paul's like, you're all dead in your sins, <laughs> and you're all in deep trouble. Not one, not one of you has sought after God. You're all sinners. Uh, that's most of the time, I mean, Paul's really going to try to get that point across, but here he's saying things like they're full of goodness, and what he's doing is he's giving them a real big attaboy, and he's letting them know that he believes that they're full of goodness because Jesus has changed their hearts. He's, he's letting them know that he believes they're filled with all knowledge because the Holy Spirit dwells in them, and he is their teacher, right? Don't misunderstand it. You have to take what Paul's saying here in context of everything else he said. Paul isn't going to just say to these people, I think you guys are full of goodness and leave it at that and let them be confused and think that that goodness is somehow from their own source, right? We have to take into account all of what Paul has said. Paul has let us know clearly we were dead in our sins without Christ. So if there's any goodness in us, it's only because Jesus came, took our dead heart and made it alive, right? Everyone understands that. And he says, you're, you're filled with all knowledge. Well, Look, Paul's not one, he's not gonna, he's not gonna blow smoke up your skirt, right? He's gonna, of course he understands it's only because the Holy Spirit dwells in you now. He's the perfect teacher. He has all the knowledge that everyone needs. So the glory goes back to God always, even when he's commending uh, his congregation here at Rome. So, uh, and that they are able to admonish each other. That, that's the word that the New American Standard Bible uses. Uh, some translations that you may have might say instruct each other and uh, instructing or teaching each other, it's, it's a part of admonishing, but the word admonish includes in it a connotation of correction as well. So he's saying, you're filled with all knowledge, you're full of goodness, and you're able to admonish each other, or instruct, teach, and even correct each other. Now, this is going to present a problem for some of you and your theology, and so we're going to have to deal with it. Um, 
But before I get to that, before I unpack that, I really just, I want to take a moment and I want to echo Pastor Paul. And I want to say to you, Love City, I believe in you. And I believe in what Jesus has done in you. And I can see it. I see it all the time. I know many of you. I know your stories. I know where you started. I know what you've come from. I know. I've watched the chains fall off your wrist. I've seen you go from somebody bound up by addictions, bound up by sin and, 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 and backwards and, and no idea whatsoever what you were called or put on this planet to do to becoming people that are vibrant ministry doers, not just hearers of the word, but you go and you do what it is that God's called you to do. And I want you to know that um, like Paul believed in the Christians at Rome, that I believe you are full of love. And I believe you're full of compassion. I see it. I see it when new people walk in the door. I see it when I sit down and I meet with people that have come recently and, 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 and they say things to me like, I've, I've been a lot of places I've never felt more pursued for relationship than when I came to Love City. That shows me that Jesus is doing something in you, and it causes me great encouragement, and it causes me to believe, it causes me to know that you are full of the compassion and the love that comes in having a real impact with King Jesus himself. The only kind of, the only way a person becomes selfless, the only way a person becomes more about others than themselves is when they are impacted by the love of a perfect Savior, when they're impacted with the kind of love that caused Jesus to bleed out and die on our behalf. See, see, human nature, we are not selfless by nature. We are selfish by nature. Will you admit that with me? By ourselves, left to our own, we will get ours. And we will not worry about everyone else. But it is clear to me, dear ones, it is clear to me that Jesus is working in and amongst our hearts, that the Holy Spirit of God is growing us up and maturing us because I'm seeing time and again the fruits of regenerated hearts in this congregation. And so I want to say, just like Paul did to the Romans, I see you, and I believe in you, and I'm proud of you. And I'm very blessed to be a part of what God's doing in this group of people. And he's equipping us for a mission. He's not done all this in us. This good fruit that has come from Jesus himself, this is not just so we could get to the point where I could stand here and say, well done. It is all the equipping for a mission. It's to get a job done. It's to do this vision that we've said from the beginning as many people as possible, seeing the hope of Christ, coming to know this Savior whom we love, right? And so the love he's put in us is going to get us there. I believe with the Bible in your hand and the Holy Spirit in your heart, you have all the knowledge you need. Listen to me right now, because some of you don't believe this about yourself. With a Bible in your hand and the Holy Spirit in your heart, I believe you have all the knowledge that you need to begin to teach and equip each other, to help each other and encourage each other. I believe that you're going to lovingly sharpen each other. Just like Proverbs 27 tells us, it says, as iron sharpens iron, you take two pieces of iron and you hit them like this, you take that equally hard metal and you strike it against each other, what comes out of that? You got a shower of sparks every time. Boom. And when that happens, when when you see that collision uh, and those sparks shower down, I just, I see that in my heart and mind, and I believe that as we begin to meet together all over this city in these community groups, and like real discipleship continues to happen, and real sharpening of one another begins to take place, I believe that, I believe those, those showers of sparks are going to begin to fly, and they're going to ignite fires of passion in people's lives, and it's going to bring God much glory. As you begin to love each other, challenge each other, as you begin to, and continue to, 
to disciple each other and to push each other to love and good works and you pray for each other and you encourage each other and you, you don't let somebody slide by you that's clearly hurting. I mean, isn't it tempting to do sometimes? You got your own deal going on and you see somebody walking by and, and they're doing their best to hide it, but you can see right behind that mask and you can tell that they're hurting. And sometimes like the easiest thing to do is just keep on walking. But I'm believing and I see it already that that the Jesus in us is not going to let us be that type of person. We, we're going to, even if we take two steps by, we have to stop and go, hey, I had to do it today. Somebody tried to slide by me, and I could tell. I had to stop and say, hold on. I love you. Let's talk. Right? That took time. It was inconvenient, but it's right. And it, and it brought joy in the end. I could have slid by and I'm sure accomplished some other task, but what else has greater impact than investing in an eternal soul that's going to live forever with Jesus. What else can you invest in that matters most or matters more than that? There's nothing. That's why God calls us to invest in people whom he loves, okay? God's going to be glorified as these community groups begin to do what they're designed to do. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. There's no doubt about it in my mind. And I'm really grateful for that. Now, now that that's over, let's see... You know, Paul here in 14, you see Pastor Paul, who's normally kind of like a, an old badger in the faith. He's like, he's always hardcore about stuff. So you see in 14, he kind of softens. And you see him, uh, you know, he, he's talking about you guys are full of goodness and you're, and you're filled with all knowledge. And you've got what it takes to help and admonish each other. But then, then you know, then he kind of catches himself in 15. So let's read that. But he says, but I have written very boldly to you on some points as to remind you again because of the grace that was given me from God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest of the gospel of God so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So he, he pretty much says, you know, he, I, I can just see it. Paul's getting older, just kind of tears getting in the corner of his eyes. He thinks about this Roman church whom he loves. He's got great affection for. He tells him, listen, guys, you're doing a great job. I see God working in you. And then he's like... <clears throat> Let's get back to work, <laughs> right? That's 15 and 16. Is like, but, like I wrote to you before, let's get to work for Jesus, right? You done good. I love you. Let's march. And so um, I just like Paul. I don't know if you do, but he cracks me up, and I can just see him working through this in his own heart and mind. Um, now, let's go back to verse 14 and this word admonish. Uh, it's not a word that we use real often. How many of you in the last week, general sentence structure for you, admonish came up in your, in your vocabulary. Anybody? Any English majors in the room? No. Okay, good. Well, we'll, we'll work with it a, a little bit here. Uh, here's the thing. Uh, it's not a word that we often use, but it, it does mean to instruct, and it also means to correct. So Paul is telling the church at Rome, let's understand what he's saying. He's telling the church at Rome that they are equipped for the task by God to admonish each other. He's telling them, I believe you guys are filled with goodness because of Christ. You're filled with all knowledge needed because of the Holy Spirit to teach and correct each other. Okay? And it does, it's not just to passively learn from each other's lives, just from observing, because that happens, right? Just me watching your faith walked out, I will learn things. And I hope the same is true vice versa, right? As I watch you walk out your faith, I, I can learn from your story. And... Uh, and that's beautiful, but that's not, that's not what it's saying here. It's not just that kind of passive learning, um, but that also we're able to challenge each other and call each other to repentance. 
Uh, some people would be confused by this because they would ask this question. If they're thinking through what I'm saying and they're running it through the grid of what they believe about Jesus and the scriptures, this question could arise. Isn't there a verse somewhere that says you shouldn't judge people? Because, why would that question come up? How can you challenge someone lovingly or admonish them, teach them or correct them some, about something uh, without making a judgment about what they're saying or doing? What do we have here? Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew 7, verse 1. Here's the thing. So, so what, what's the deal? Have we found you and me tonight? Have we found the epic Bible contradiction that all the rabid atheists are waiting for to unravel the Christian faith as we know it? Do we see here Paul standing in stark contradiction to Jesus' teachings? Do we, have we found the, the final, this is the death blow to the Christian faith. We should all set our Bibles down and go find the nearest happy hour because none of this makes sense. Jesus said one thing, Paul said another, so none of this can be true, right? Well, of course not. Let's go to Matthew 7, see what it says. Uh, did Jesus tell us not to judge, but Paul says we should correct one another in love, um, which clearly requires judgment. Is Paul just straying from the teachings of Jesus? So how do we, how do we approach this? Do we, surely we, we don't believe that so let's, let's just say it's not even on the table that we believe this contradiction is, is enough to not believe that Jesus saved us and that he made us. But let's just, So what do we do? Do we pick between Jesus and Paul? Never, ever, ever, ever. I need to teach you something right now about how you read and understand and interpret your Bible. Here's the thing. We, we, have, a, we have a finite mind, okay? Um. We cannot understand everything. Here's, here's what you're going to have to decide to believe. Because you can go on YouTube, there's all kinds of lists all over the internet of all these perceived Bible contradictions where guys go through the Bible with darkened minds, clearly not, not illuminated by the power of the Holy Spirit, and they look at stuff like this, and they say, oh, well, look at Matthew 7. Jesus says not to judge. And then they flip over to Romans, they're like, well, what, what, what the heck is Paul saying then? And, they're, and they go... Ding, 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 contradiction. Look, I just took your Bible away from you, you foolish Christians. Ha, 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 right? No, what we have there is a foolish man somehow thinking he's smarter than the God that made him. Every time, every single time someone presumes to come and think that they have been the one to find the spot where God messed up writing his own word. They have messed up. They have fallen short. There's a darkened spot in their understanding. And so there are things you may find in your Bible that you will not understand. My submission to you would be always to take that to the Holy Spirit. My submission to you would be to always ask God to help you. I, I promise you, there's things today I read in the scriptures. Many times I'll come across it and right off the bat, I'm like, I'm like a dog who hears a high-pitched whistle, you know, my head cocked to the side. I don't quite get that. And, and every time I've, I've gotten to the point where I just say, Lord, please help me to understand that. And wouldn't you know it, not always immediately, you know, heaven doesn't open up and light shine down and, you know, down comes a scroll that explains, you know, like God's personal commentary. But many times through study, many times through putting effort into it, many times through praying, um, God has illuminated things to me that I did not otherwise understand in and of my own intelligence because I'm not not that smart of a guy. And so that happens a lot where I have to lean on Jesus to help figure it out, which is not a bad spot to be in, okay? So let's look at Matthew 7 here. Um, we're gonna read verses one through five. 
Now, remember why we're talking about judgment, because some of you already are like, is he, has he forgot we're talking about community groups? No. I know where I'm at, I promise. Here's the deal. I'm telling you that Paul told the Romans they have everything they need. They've got all the knowledge they need because of the Holy Spirit. They've got all the goodness in them they need, which really, again, he's talking about kind of the spiritual filter that we should be able to, because of Christ in us, instruct and admonish, correct, encourage each other away from sin and toward Jesus. We should be able to do that. But what I'm saying is it's impossible to do that without being willing to make judgments. But we have to deal with Matthew 7 because I, I, I presume that some of us in this room have probably hid behind Matthew 7 thinking it says something that it doesn't. So let's read it together. Matthew 7, 1 through 5. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. Pause for a minute. This is probably, you think 1 John 3.16, because most of you are Christians, you've been in church some amount of time, you think 1 John 3.16 is the most popular verse, promise you this one is. Promise you. There are, pretty much everybody, whether they've ever cracked the pages of a Bible open before, they know this verse is in here. Because what they think it is, is absolute justification for whatever the heck they want to do. You can't judge me. Only God can judge me. Right? I'm not going to go too hard on that because probably statistically somebody in this room has this tattooed on their body. I still love you. I still love you. There's some good tattoo artists in this congregation. I, I would start, I will help you pay to get that covered up because it's dumb. Okay? I pro okay, let's keep going. We'll see. You don't believe me yet. I promise. Do not judge so you will not be judged. For in the way you judge you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, a log is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Okay? So, most people read verse 1 and 2. And what they think is happening is Jesus is forbidding passing judgment on anything anyone ever does, and we should all be totally more morally neutral and never encroach upon someone else's ability to decide for themselves what is right and wrong, right? Many people read, do not judge, so you will not be judged, for in the way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you, and they think, bingo, I found my life first, right? It's on the fridge, I'm going to take a version of it, and you know but only God can judge me in a tat, and, and like that's, I'm rolling with it, right? Here's the, okay. I don't believe that that's what Jesus is saying. I don't believe that's what his intention is, and I'm going to lead you through three th reasons why, okay? So first of all, let's look at the context, right? Context. We never, ever take verses, one or two verses, lift them up out of all the words that are around them, and say, okay, now I've got a solid doctrine. That's not how we look at the Bible, the Bible was written in paragraphs, sentences, chapters, and books, right? So we need to look at the words before and after to understand what's being said there so that we don't misinterpret what's going on. So we need to look at the talk context. He is specifically speaking to people, first of all, that are making judgments that have no business doing so because they are hypocrites, okay? Let's look. Uh, what, what's he saying? Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye but do not notice the log that is in your own? He's... So, yes, he said, do not judge, do not be judged, but you got to look at who he's talking to. He's talking to the person that has the tendency to run around looking at everybody else's issues, but never, ever 
stops at a mirror to go, oh, right? And he uses the, he uses the analogy of this guy's got a beam sticking out of his eye and wants to come help you pick specks out of yours. Nope. <laughs> Thanks, I'll find someone else, right? It's, it's not a good candidate. So um, now here's the thing. None of us is perfect and we've all sinned, but that doesn't mean that we cannot look at somebody's actions, see that they clearly don't line up with the scriptures, and determine that that person is sinning, thus making a judgment. None of us is perfect, right? Everybody on that train with me? Yeah. Not perfect, including the last three hours, okay? So thank God for grace and mercy. Now, that does not, however, disqualify us because there is any sin in our life from doing what Paul said and being able to encourage others. We should be quick to repent. We shouldn't be running around with a bunch of unrepentant sin stacked up in our hearts and trying to help other people. We should repent quickly, deal with it, um, respond to conviction. But the fact that we are imperfect does not clearly remove the ability for us to determine by the scriptures out of love that somebody uh, is sinning. Now, the hypocrite here is the person, you know, for example, somebody secretly addicted to porn, sitting his buddy down to say, hey, bro, you shouldn't sleep with your girlfriend until you're married. You know, stone-faced and just trying to lay it out for him. I mean, that's, is that not a little bit hypocritical? Of course, nobody knows what he's going to go home and look at on his computer later, but he's going to sit down with his buddy and talk to him about, you know, premarital sex and how that shouldn't be done as a Christian. Well, here's the thing. You got a log sticking out of your eye. It's going to be super hard for you to help your bro there. Okay. And some people, some people, you know, the motive always has to be love. Motive matters. If you're sitting somebody down to talk to them about a sin because you just really relish the fact that you can sit down and talk to them about their sin, like when I have to deal with somebody, I promise you, if I have to sit down with somebody and make a judgment about what they're doing and deal with them and call them to repentance, it normally feels like somebody's standing on my chest. It hurts because I really love them. And the very fact that I'm aware that they're, they're entangled in enough sin that it, it, it's gonna, could potentially harm their life and lead to destruction. Like, that's going to bother me. I'm never going to sit down gleefully to talk to somebody about their sin. And so you got to check yourself on that and make sure that you're not like, you know, got some type of I'm better complex, and that's why you're coming to somebody. Love always has to be the motive or else it's not right. Uh, let's look at verses 15 through 20. Okay, so that's reason number one. I, I don't believe Jesus is saying that. If you look at the context, he's not making a blanket statement that nobody should ever judge ever. Which ha Is that not true? Do many people not look at Matthew 7 verse 1 and they will run with, don't judge. Don't judge me. Don't you judge me. Jesus said in Matthew 7 1. Tell me one other scripture, bro. Matthew 7 1. You know what I mean? That's what they got. Don't judge me. Don't you dare judge me. Only God can judge me. Okay. Well, I don't think Jesus is saying that, and here's why. Let's look at verses 15 through 20. We're going to read those together. <clears throat> Jesus is still speaking. If you have a Bible where when Jesus talks, it's in red letters, we are still bright red, okay? Verses 15 through 20. Let's see what it says. <clears throat> Same sermon. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits, Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Okay, here's the thing. 
either Jesus is like struggling from heat exhaustion or we've really misunderstood the first couple of verses of Matthew 7, right? Either this, this is getting to the end of his sermon, you know, he's in the Middle East, it's hot, he's like starting to get dizzy and losing track of where he's at in the sermon and, and got confused. That's one option. I don't think so though, because clearly what is he doing? He's saying, beware of false prophets. What do you have to do? to beware of false prophets? Well, you're going to have to know by their fruits. What do you got to do in order to judge whether, dang it, I cheated. <laughs> you got to make a judgment. So is Jesus confused or have we ran with Matthew 7, 1 and made it mean something that it doesn't? I think you know where I stand. <laughs> you're welcome. You're welcome to, uh, you're welcome to disagree. <clears throat> but you're wrong. Um, so <laughs> I don't think Jesus is confused. Don't think he ever was. Don't think he suffered from heat exhaustion. I think he was probably smart enough to stay well hydrated. Um, he's preaching this message. Uh, this all actually flows together. So clearly what he doesn't mean when he says do not judge is don't ever judge anybody ever. Because just a few verses later, he says, beware. Beware of false shepherds and how you'll know them is by their fruits. Good trees bear good fruit, and they can't bear bad fruit, and vice versa is true. So you, Christian, you got to be able to look at fruit and decide, is that good or bad? And you need the Bible to help inform you to understand that, the Holy Spirit to give you discernment. And uh, it's not only false shepherds that we're encouraged to judge fruit on, it's, it's each other. So let's look at... Uh, you, well, you got Romans 15, we were already there, 1 Corinthians 5. Many other places tell us that we should judge those within the household of faith. Um, we should not run around getting joy out of finding and pointing out the faults in others. Uh, some people do that so they feel better about themselves. They like finding other people not doing well because it makes them feel less terrible about their own mess-ups. Uh, if that's the motive, then you're sinning and you should stop. You should repent. Um, Really, it should be with a heavy heart. It should be great concern fueled by genuine love when we call brothers and sisters in Christ to repentance. The only correct motive for challenging someone and calling them to repentance, for pointing out that they've strayed from the truth of the scriptures, should be love and concern for them. If it's any other motive, you've sinned yourself. Okay? Everyone cool with that? Great. Uh, I just want to say one thing about verse 2 as well. Um, it says, for in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. See, many people take that and use it for further reinforcement to their erroneous view of verse 1. Well, don't judge me because you don't want to be judged, right? Can I, can I tell you something? This is the God's honest truth. You can believe me or not. I want to be judged, and I want to be challenged by people that love me. Absolutely. And I believe somebody that has truly been grasped by the, the beauty of the gospel and Jesus has transformed their heart, they're, gonna, they're not going to be fearful of that. Um, I had a guy recently that I was talking to, I was dealing with him, he, he's in, in blatant rebellious sexual sin, I had to go to him, uh, a heavy heart like I described to you, not a conversation I want to have, praying the whole way that God, just by the time I get there, would you just do the work in this guy's heart so I don't have to try to wrestle him over this because I love him and I care about him and it hurts me. So I get, I get into this conversation, and as I'm poking and prodding around, I'm trying to find out, okay, what's really going on here in the deep levels of your heart? Out comes from him this response that, I, you know, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm doing this sin. I know it's wrong, but I feel judged. <laughs> 
I said, you fool, you are. Absolutely. Absolutely, I've made a judgment. That clear, you are clearly rebelling from what the scriptures have laid out for you as proper conduct as a Christian man. Yes, you've been judged. But I'm like, I'm like, brother, if your back is on fire and you're not aware of it, do you want me to make a judgment about that? Or would you rather me stand back and let you figure it out? You know what I mean? And, and that's, it's much more crucial and much more dangerous to be in blatant rebellion against the God that made you than for your back to be on fire. I mean, you could stop, drop, and roll and fix a back on fire. I mean, for you to just reject God's loving call of conviction, um, there's, there's some serious stuff going on in your heart that's going to have to be dealt with. But, but that's, that's how we act. Some people, they, they, don't, they don't desire to be judged because clearly there's something there that they should just go on ahead and deal with themselves. The scriptures also say, judge yourself lest you not need to be judged. God nor anybody else will have to deal with you if you will deal with yourself. That's the first and easiest route. Just respond to conviction. If you're a Christian and you sin, the Holy Spirit's going to let you know about it. Then you have two options. Respond to that, repent, change it, or, eh, I'll deal with that later. Or, eh, that's not God, that's just me. Or however we justify ourselves, right? You know, <laughs> some people go so far as to think God doesn't judge, and I just don't, you can't have opened the Bible if you think that's true. Um, you know, I asked them, I said, should I, should I just respect your right to like feel the pain and destruction happening to your body, or should I, should I grab a hold of you? Should I, what, if, what if I said your back is on fire, and you were like, <laughs> yeah, okay. What should I do then? Should I elevate my tone to get your attention? Because you're on fire. This is a serious situation, is it not? I mean, and what if, what if even if I'm yelling and you still think I'm joking, somehow you're not aware and your back is on fire. Should I then at some, should I grab you and shake you and look you right in your eyes and say, man, stop. If you don't stop, you're going to die. Like what, what, sh- what length should I go to to get your attention? You want me to make a judgment about it, right? You want me to let you know. You don't want me to wait and, and just let you figure it out on your own. True or not true? You know, here's the thing. If, you know, my God, let me just speak to the brothers in this church for a second. If I ever showed up one day, and I'm, I'm talking crazy about how, you know, I found some other woman, I'm going to leave my wife, and it's okay because only God can judge me. Here's men in this church, men of God in this church, leaders in this church, here's what I want you to do. If, if, if I don't immediately repent when you call me to repentance, grab as many of you as it takes, drag me behind something, and beat the slobber out of my mouth till I start talking right. I'm serious. I, please judge me. Please make a judgment if I am foolish enough someday to walk in here and act like I can do something different than what the Bible says is best for me. Please love me enough to challenge me. I promise to God that's what I want. And I'm deputizing everybody in here, and every one of you should willingly stand up and say the same thing. Every one of you that's a husband in here should say, if I ever come in here talking crazy about how some other woman has caught my eye, please, brothers, deal with me. 
as severely as it takes to get my attention, that I don't follow that path to destruction. Every one of you single men should come in here and say, please, if I come in here trying to tell you we're married in God's eyes and so it doesn't matter what we do, please grab a hold of me, get my attention, deal with me severely, judge me. If you are wise, that is what you will want. If you really want to walk with this Christ who has saved you, that's what you'll want. And here's the, people think they retreat to this only God can judge me stuff. Do you understand how much easier it is for me and a couple other brothers to talk to you about your sin than than let us not love you enough to do so, let you slip by and end up dealing with the Jesus described in Revelation? Have you read Revelation? If you got an only God can judge me tattoo, you probably haven't read Revelation. Because in Revelation, Jesus is not sitting on on a green hill with a sheep in his lap, you know, passing out cups of cold water to kids. The Jesus of Revelation has a sword coming out of his mouth. His eyes burn like fire, hair white as snow, and he's glorious and reigning over all. And he's coming to slay his enemies. And all those that thought, well, only he can judge me. Yes, he can. And the absolute best thing for you would be to have people in your life that know you well enough to get in between that, judge you first, call you out. You should desire that. A Christian should desire that. A Christian should not run from judgment. A Christian, should not, a Christian should not be offended when a brother or sister stops him and says, hey, I'm concerned. You should be super grateful for that because it's not easy, right? I mean, have, have it, don't raise your hands, but if you had to do this, it's not easy because of, because of this Matthew 7, 1 culture, everyone thinking, oh, ju- like judgment, I mean, you might as well... Shorten down to a four-letter word and just list it with the rest of them. Judge, oh my gosh. You judged? Yep, I did, because I love you. I'll do it again. I'd much rather, at the end of the day, if you're going to respond to that with offense, I'd still rather take the risk, because I love you that much. If you've strayed from the truth, I'm going to make a judgment about that, and I'm going to call you out on it, because I really love you. Do that for me, please. Do it for each other. That's part of what community groups, some of you are like, I already signed up. I didn't know about all this. I got you. <laughs> Your name's on the list. You better believe I'm, I'm smarter than I look. I waited for this one until after most of you signed up. But no, this is part of the opportunity you're going to have. This is, you know, somebody shows up to community group and, and they sit down and they're, they're talking about life and, and you're about to pray for each other and they're like, yeah, you know, I've been sleeping with my girlfriend, but we're married in God's eyes. What's the right response there? Other Christian guy? (laughs) Is it go, you're right, slugger, you know? (laughs) Let me pray for you. No. The right response is, hold on, brother. Hold on, we got to stop for a second, talk about that. Because that guy has bought a lie. That guy's back is on fire. You got a decision. You're going to let him walk by you? You know, or you're going you're gonna to stop and say, hold on, I love you too much to let you just believe that somehow you're married in your hearts and God's going to be okay with that. You're in sin, man. And you're going to hurt your life if you continue doing that. Let me, let me talk to you and pray for you that God will empower you by his Holy Spirit to not do that anymore. Right? That's the right response. That's the loving response. Is it the harder one? Yes. But hopefully as our culture grows in, in this faith family, it will be widely expected the day we walk in talking crazy talk somebody's gonna stop us 
because we love each other so much and we're so committed to what Jesus has told us in his scriptures is true, that we wouldn't let somebody, we wouldn't let somebody get past us believing a lie. We wouldn't let us get past somebody, we wouldn't let somebody get past us talking some mess about don't judge me. Go to 1 Corinthians 5. Paul makes a clear distinction. It is not your job to go to your workplace and pass judgment on the activities of those that have not come to faith in Christ. That is God's responsibility, and he will deal with them. Your responsibility for them is to have a broken heart and to pray that they would come to the saving knowledge of Christ. That's your only orientation towards them. But when it comes to the household of faith, those of us that have claimed to come to the saving knowledge of Christ, we absolutely must love each other enough to deal with each other. Okay? And I'm telling you, that's part of what community groups is going to give us an opportunity to do. Because you're going to have to do one of two things. You're either going to have to welcome conviction and correction from brothers and sisters, or you're going to have to be a good liar. You're either going to have to sit and look at people and say, you know what? I had a perfect week. (laughs) We get gold stars for that? Uh, You're either going to have to do that, which nobody's going to believe you anyways, or or you're going to have to open up and say, you know what? I did struggle this week, and here's how. And then the guy next to you is going to do that. And and ladies, the girl next to you is going to do that. You're going to tell each other the truth, and you're going to pray for each other. And it's, it's absolutely wonderful. The community group leaders for the last couple of weeks have gotten together to kind of train each other how to do this. And any one of them would tell you. It's, it's a beautiful experience to, to open up like that because life, that's part of why I, I told you a few sermons past, you know, because some, some of, especially you younger ones, you would kind of rise up in, in a little bit of indignation, like, why do you have to schedule community groups? Like, why can't we all just organically live life together and plant a community garden and just show up at the same time, pick our herbs, you know, and make a nice pesto, right? Like, that, that, that's something, you just, you just want it to happen, because when you schedule it, it starts to feel fake, right? But it's not at all, because, and, and part of the deal is, part of the deal is intentionality. Part of the deal is, there's very few opportunities in life that are going to afford you the same structured experience that building community groups the way we have is. You're going to come together. You're going to share a meal together. You're going to open up and, and, and talk about life. You're going to study the scriptures together. You're going to challenge each other and push each other towards Christ and his word. And then you're going to break into even smaller groups and you're going to, you're going to open up and tell the truth or you'll lie. But I don't even think the Holy Spirit will let you do that very long. And it'll be for your good. Some of you are terrified to be open. Some of you are terrified to be open because you're just, you're convinced that your personality is not conducive to that. Some of you have believed that it, like, it's, it's just not you. That's, that's not you to talk to people. I, I want to talk to you. I, I love you and I understand that some people feel that way, but clearly from the scriptures, all of the past weeks, if you've not been here, and I've, I've spent a lot of time in the scriptures proving this point, you were made for community. You were made to have real relationships with other Christians, and in order to do that, you're going to have to have real conversations with them. Does that make sense? Does everyone understand there's an equal sign between those statements? To have real relationships that the Bible clearly calls us to, you're going to have to have real conversations. You have to tell people the truth, and you're going to have to hear the truth from them. Okay, and so I know that that's going to be hard for some of you, but, but, but begin to pray now that God would anoint you to do that.
Some of you are terrified to have real conversations because you've got sin that you haven't told anybody about and you don't want to deal with it. I would encourage you, set that before the Lord and ask God by his Holy Spirit to free you from that. Either he will or you'll get to the point where you'll encounter other brothers or sisters that are going to pray for you and, and help you to do that. Either you and God will get it by yourself or you, God, and some friends will fight through it. Either way, sin loses, Jesus wins. All day, every day. Believe that? You excited about it? Okay. You want to be judged? Good. That's wise. And I, I know you could parse that out and say, well, I don't want to be judged for how I look and this and that. Here's, okay. Here's what I'm, this is what I'm talking about. Do you want to be judged for your sin? Do you want people that love you to call you out? Do you want that in your life? Is that a desire? Are you tired of hiding behind masks and fakeness? Because we all do it. Partially because we're not put in situations that force us not to. And that's part of what community groups is structured to do. We will be a stronger church as a whole. We will be stronger individual disciples. We will be better equipped to do what it is God's called us to do because we are a part of a community group. Absolutely. Or we wouldn't do it. There's lots of things to do. There's lots of ways we could allocate time. There's lots of things we could put effort into. This is that important. Okay? If you fear judgment of godly people who love you, then you're probably in sin and you should just judge yourself and repent. If you don't and your sin comes to light and the family of God who loves you calls you out on it, please don't try to twist Jesus' words in Matthew 7 into some shield of justification that you can hide behind. Okay? Don't, don't run with don't judge me. It's not what he's talking about. That's not what the Lord's talking about. I'd much rather have God's people judge me and lovingly call me to repentance than for them to be too spineless and just let me go and then end up facing the judgment of God. Please, please, even if you're wrong, if you think I'm slipping, love me enough to stop me and say, hey, man, here's what I observed. Let's pray together. Or explain this to me. I'm, I'm, I want to give you an opportunity to at least let me know how is that not sin? Or if it is, let's just all repent together right now, right? Please, please love me enough to do that. And I promise you, I will for you. And that's the kind of culture I want to build in here. I want us to look forward, man. When I show up to the gathering at Love City, if I'm trying to come in fake, somebody's going to bust me. I might as well just get real. There's, re there's a lot of freedom in that. Really, there is. Being real it, it, it takes a lot of weight off your shoulders. All right, turn with me to Romans 12, chapter 5. I'm sorry, Romans 12, verse 5. The chapter is 12. I read the Bible once. These chapters and verses get confusing. <clears throat> Uh, Romans 12, 5 through 13, okay? Community groups is going to begin to release a lot of pent-up gifts and talents. Uh, we are all made and gifted by God in a specific way 
to be a blessing to our faith family and to further the mission that God has given us, okay? So let's, let's just read this and, and understand that a little better. Romans 12, starting in verse 5. So we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love, giving preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, and practicing hospitality. Here we see a list, I don't even believe it's an exhaustive list, but it's giving us many examples of ways that God gifts us. You need to understand that God has made you. He's built you purpose-built to accomplish something, to be a part of a faith community. And so that faith community, if, if you're not operating at your full potential, if your gift is not flowing in and amongst the place God has called you, that, that group of people will walk with a limp, right? Because they don't have your gift working in full operation. So it's very important that we take the time to come to the Lord in prayer and to ask him to show us what it is he's made us to do. And sometimes personality bends, just what you tend to be good at are good indicators or clues some, sometimes of, of how God's gifted you. Sometimes it takes more uh, prayer and, and pushing into God's presence to understand what it is uh, that he's gifted you to do. But this, this group of people right here, the people that God has already called and assembled together to accomplish a mission at Love City, there is an incredible myriad of gifts represented here. And Coming together in community groups is going to begin to unlock many of those. Many of you have not yet had an opportunity even to flow in the gifts that God has put in you. But as we break down in smaller groups, you're going to have opportunities. Some of you are really good at hospitality, just making people feel welcome, and you've not yet had an opportunity to flow in that gift. Like you're just you're like freakishly good at making people feel welcome. Like it's all I'm not like right. You know I'll you know throw a bag of M and M's out and some water and say. Have fun, you know, you're here, whatever you want's in the fridge, you know. But some, I mean, some people here, my God, you go to their house and it's, it's like, I'm not ever leaving here. <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> so, you know, um, but different gifts, right? But it's cool because you put a guy like me together with a person like that and now we're better. We're on the same mission trying to accomplish the same goal. Now I'm going to compliment them. They're going to compliment me. And all you wise guys are saying, well, what's your gift, dude? I'm still working on it. I'm trying to figure it out, okay? I'll let you know when God lets me know. Um, that was self-deprecation. It's a form of humor. We need one of those things in the back. You guys are terrible. All right. Um, but here's, here's another reason why I'm excited about community groups, because I believe community groups is a key that's going to begin to unlock the treasure chest in many of you, and your gifts and talents are going to start to flow. You're going to start to have opportunities you've not yet had to serve, opportunities to lead, opportunities to uh, give and be generous, all of these things listed in, in uh, Romans 12 there, and, and many more. Some of you are going to discover your gifts by being a part of a community group faithfully. 